The scripture this morning is in the 10th chapter of Mark. The setting is that James and John have asked if when Jesus' kingdom comes, which was not in heaven, but actually they expected would be on earth in Jerusalem. One of them wanted to sit on the left and one of them wanted to sit on the right. And this is what happened when everybody else found out about their request. Beginning in verse 41, when the other 10 heard about this, they were indignant at James and John. So Jesus called the disciples together and said to them, you know how those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those uh, who are in high uh, officials exercise authority. But it will not be so with you. For whoever would be great among you must be the servant, and whoever would be first must be last of all. Even so, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Some years ago in Ypsilanti, Michigan, in an institution, uh, there were, among the other uh, patients there, there were uh, three men, each of whom had a Messiah complex. And uh, for two years, uh, the psychologist uh, Milton Rokach was trying to work with them, but after two years, he couldn't make any progress. So he hit upon an ingenious idea. He'd get all three of the Messiahs together in one room in a small group. And surely by spending time with one another, they would figure out there's not room for three messiahs. They can't all be messiahs. But some interesting thing happens. Uh, Their names were uh, Leon, Joseph, and Clyde. And one day Leon announced, I am the messiah to the small group. He said, I am on a mission. I've come to save the earth. And so the psychologist running the group said to him, well, how do you know that? And he said, because God told me, at which point uh, Joseph, another one of the messiahs, uh, piped up and said, I told you no such thing. And it's interesting uh, to borrow the observation of John Ortberg, how three messiahs ended up becoming the three stooges. But if you look at this deeper, what seems to be going on is this. For James and John and their messiah complex was about glory, about power, about honor. Uh, about getting all the honor for themselves, and about control. But for Jesus, it was never that way. As one observer put it this way, Jesus may have been uh, the only person in the world without a Messiah complex, and he was the Messiah. Jesus knew that the path in was not a path of power and glory and greatness for oneself. But he knew that the path into life with Christ was the path of service. He had already tried to tell the disciples this in the previous chapter. In Mark 9, they were arguing with each other about who was the greatest. And so he he gets a child and puts a child between them and says, I'll tell you who's great. Whoever will serve one of these little ones. Then they're still arguing about it in Mark 10 because one wants to sit on the right and one wants to sit on the left. So he talks to them about service again. A third time he reminds them, I am among you as one who serves. And finally, just to drill it home on the last night that they'll all be together. The last supper, he takes a towel and he takes a basin and he washes the feet of the disciples as if to drive home the message that he was about service. And Paul picked up on this. In the second chapter of the letter to the Philippians, Paul says this about Jesus. He said, though he was uh, created equal with God, he didn't grasp at that equality, but he humbled himself and made him, uh, himself obedient, taking the form of a servant. 
And through the years, the church has understood the importance of service in the Christian faith. So much so that in the um, 20th century, when Albert Schweitzer comes along, he says this. He said, the purpose of humankind is to serve others and to show compassion. And then he goes on and adds, and this is the only way that anyone ever finds true happiness. Well, to go on and confirm what Albert Schweitzer discovered some years ago, University of Michigan did a study, and they studied people who had retired between ages 55 and 65 and, and retired in good health. And what they found was this. Among those retirees, people who turned around in their retirement and invested in serving others and finding some place of service in the community or through the church lived an average of 2.7 years longer than those who didn't serve. And they were happier while they lived. It seems like the message all the way through Christian history and tradition and to this day is that there's something integral about uh, service in the Christian faith. Which then raises an obvious question. Why don't we see more people out serving? Well, I have some theories about that, most of which are probably wrong. Uh, One of my theories is, well, people are just selfish. People are spoiled. They only care about themselves. They're not interested in others. But you know what? I've been a pastor 35 years. I've been here 20 years. And that has never been my experience of people. I have found people are willing to do most whatever they can to try to serve and help those who are in need. So I don't really think that's the answer. Well, maybe it's this. Maybe people just serve so much they get tired. You've heard the phrase compassion fatigue, right? I mean, you get hit with uh, a hurricane, then followed up by a drought in some other part of the world, and then a civil war in another part of the world, and then top it off with an earthquake in Nepal. And and pretty soon, uh, so the theory goes, people get tired of giving. But again, in 20 years, that hasn't been my experience either. It was just 10 years ago that we rallied for uh, Katrina. And then we rallied again uh, when Galveston got, uh, got hit by Ike. And then we, we rallied again uh, for people in need in this country and on the border and in Africa. And, and I've seen people in this church continually to give themselves to others. So this is my working theory about why maybe we don't see more service. And that's simply this. People don't serve because they don't know how to go about it. Because they have this theory like James and John. And, you know, you could figure out James and John's theory. They said, you know, Jesus, when the kingdom comes and, you know, you're kicking everybody's butt and we're in charge, we want to send on your left and somebody on your right. Their theory was you go big or you go home. James and John were, if we can't, their theory is if we can't change the whole world, we don't want to do anything. If we can't go all the way to Africa, we're not going anywhere. If we can't head the nonprofit, we're not going to work. Uh, The idea was that they could see themselves making a large difference. And I think sometimes we sort of take that James and John approach and that uh, we want to make the difference, see the difference we're making, and we want to be in control of the difference we're making. We want to do things in a big way. And when we can't, then I think we have a hard time finding our place of service at all. I'm reminded years ago, uh, Calvin Coolidge, president of the United States, otherwise known as Silent Cal, didn't have a lot to say, but this is what he said one time. He said, I've noticed that nobody ever gets a monument or statue erected to themselves on the basis of what they received. 
And it was a good line from Calvin Coolidge reminding us that a life is based on what they give. But what I'd like to say back to the president is this. Who said anything about a statue? Why do we need a monument? Why do we need a statue to ourselves? Why does everyone need to know the big stuff that we are doing? Think of Mother Teresa. One of her mantras goes something like this. She says, we do not do any great things. We only do small things with great love. And you put Mother Teresa in India and her goal is that I'm going I'm to be with every leper. I'm going to feed every person who's hungry. I'm going to take care of everyone who is poor. She had no plan like that. You put her around people in need, and in small ways, she began to serve those in need. And soon, the small acts started to add up, and they became something so large that now, of course, Mother Teresa is synonymous with service and with sacrifice. So my hunch is that a lot of us don't get into service because we want to go all the way in. And we want to be clear about all the difference we're making. And maybe Jesus is inviting us into service in small ways that eventually begin to add up. So if I'm right, let me give you four things that I think this could mean. Here's the first thing. I believe if you're looking for a place to serve, the first place you start is home or close to home. That that's the first place you look. There was a great uh, theologian uh, a few decades ago. His name was Leslie Newbigin, And he, he made an argument something like this. He said, Jesus died for all of us. And so we owe Jesus a great debt of love. But then he went on to say, but it could very well be that the God-appointed agent to receive the love that we owe to Jesus is our spouse. Or our child. Or our parent. Or our neighbor. His point is that the the debt of love that we owe to Christ begins to be paid first at home to those who are closest to us. And that's how we enter into this life of service. Second thing uh, I think follows if that's true. If that's true that it starts close to home, then while we're close to home, we need to be observant and pay attention to see where the needs are. Scott Peck said it years ago that the most important work of love is paying attention. What do you notice? Uh, I found this uh, illustrated by uh, another pastor some time ago. He, he's a father with two daughters. So, so that part I couldn't relate to. And this is, but this is what he said. He said, when, I was, when my kids were little, we'd sit on the floors and we would play Barbies. And I'd play Barbies with my two daughters. And I played with Ken and they had Barbie and her friends. He said, but I noticed this about my daughters, that every time there was a birthday, they asked for more clothes for Barbie and her friends. He said, every time they ran into any money, they went out and bought more clothes for Barbie and her friends. He said, I realized after a few years, I was on the floor playing with them with a naked Ken. My invitation to you is to look around your house, close by in your community for the naked Kens. Who are the people that haven't received the attention that others have received? Who doesn't have the basic things that they need, whether it's friendship or comfort? Support, food, shelter. What are the basic things people need? Who's wandering around without that uh, that's close to us? I think we look there. So my first thought is start close to home. Be attentive. And the third thing is any way that you can help, it's usually a helpful Christian discipline to try to do it anonymously or as quietly as possible. One of the ways we cure ourselves of being like James and John is to try to do good things without drawing attention to ourselves for doing them. But I know this is a very hard thing to do. Sometimes when my uh, wife is at work, uh, I will vacuum the house while she's gone. And because I'm a good vacuumer, I move so that I can vacuum under things. I'll move the furniture. 
and I'll vacuum. But what I'll do is I'll leave the furniture in its new moved position so that when she gets home, I don't have to say anything and she knows I've vacuumed. It's, it's very hard to do something and not want notice and not want attention. And yet the way in and the way of Christ is, is the way that is usually quiet and the way that often tar- starts small and starts anonymously. And then the last thing I'd want to say is this. We not only look, look around close to home, try to do things that are needed and do them as, in as, as secret or quiet as way as possible. But the last thing is I think we need to then be able to consistently uh, work over and over in an area. I think one of the things that happens is sometimes we get so excited about the great causes in the world that we start with one cause and then we move to another and then to another and then to another. Well, it was Schweitzer who made this observation years ago. He said that what you need to do was to find a place of need in the world, stake your claim to it, and keep mining that claim for the rest of your days. We can't be everywhere, but we can be somewhere. And where we are, that's where we need to be there and be there in consistent ways. Maybe they aren't large, but they continue to be consistent. And so like Mother Teresa, small act after small act begins to add up. I was helped in understanding this by the late uh, Fred Craddock, a teacher of preachers who died uh, a couple months ago. And he said he was born in 1930. And, uh, and so growing up in the 30s and in the 40s, he said, uh, and into the 50s, he said, I had this image of myself as a preacher, he said, and as an evangelist, that my life was like a $100,000 check. And that one day God was going to tell me I had to cash it in. He said, so I could just figure I'd probably be some behind the iron curtain in some country talking about Jesus. They'd arrest me, line me up against the wall, and the firing squad uh, would take care of me. And he said, and I could imagine a little monument built there. And, and years later, parents would bring their children and say, there's where old Fred gave his life for Jesus. He said, but what I've realized is my sacrifice and service for Jesus is not usually 100000 all at one time. He said, it seems to be a nickel here, a quarter there, 50 cents here, a dollar there, calling someone that I haven't heard from in some time, walking across the room to shake hands with someone who has no one uh, talking with them, uh, in a place where I volunteer, wash the windows, file the cards, put the things in order. He said, what I found is that my life has been a constant series of small acts all along the way. And those acts eventually add up. Service close to home, where there's a need, and doing it consistently over time lead us, I think, in the direction of Jesus who said, I am among you as one who serves. I want to share with you that there's a wonderful opportunity that maybe you've read about, maybe you haven't seen anything about yet. Three weeks from tomorrow, there's a, a new ministry called Project Transformation that's starting on our Asbury campus. And the goal is to serve up to 80 children and read to them four days a week for, for eight weeks. Uh, because oftentimes what happens to at-risk children is they go home, no one reads to them, they don't read. They come back the next fall and their, their reading comprehension is even lower than when they left school uh, at the end of the school year. And so we're looking for volunteers, seventh grade and above, who can go and um, uh, and read uh, to some of the naked kens in our community who don't have what other people have. The other thing that we're doing is that, as you may know, when children at need are in school, maybe the only 
really good meal they get every day is the lunch meal that the school provides. And so summer becomes very long, very painful, and very difficult for them. And so in this program, we would have a snack for them in the morning, a snack before they leave in the afternoon, and give them a hot meal at lunchtime. So they will be reading, uh, being uh, in community, and being fed and cared for. Real significant needs for people who may otherwise be naked in our midst. And if you'd like to know more about how you can serve by reading or volunteering in another way, one of the things we're using is we're bringing in college interns to run the program so that college interns understand the power of, uh, of social service and, and ministry. And they, um, they're in need of being fed in the evening. And so we need also people that can cook for them. So if you're interested in doing something small and consistent over the summer, if you can come a couple weeks or maybe you can only come one week or maybe you can come once a week for all eight weeks, we'd like to know. And if you um, get with my secretary, Leah, or call my office, uh, we'll get back with you. Janet Weatherston, who heads it on the Asbury campus, will get back with you uh, soon uh, as the program starts. But it would be a wonderful way that you're not going to change the whole world and you're probably not going to get written about on the front page of the paper, but you're going to make a small act with great love and it will make a difference. In closing, though, I'm reminded of uh, Will Williman. He was a minister to Duke Chapel while, even years ago um, uh, for many years and then he became a bishop. But one, uh, one year before uh, spring break, he was preaching on the importance of service at the Duke Chapel And there was a young woman, Jane, who was a senior. She was getting ready to graduate that May and go off, I think, to Harvard for an MBA program. But she heard the sermon and she thought, I don't want to go to Harvard. I want to get in that. I want to help people. So she decided after that sermon that she was going to join the Peace Corps when she graduated Duke. So she went home at spring break to give her parents the good news. They were not pleased. It did not match up with their plans. And so when spring break was over, they called the minister to the chapel, Williman, and they said to him, can you do anything to help us? Can you meet with Jane and talk her out of this? So he said, well, okay, I'll try. So he makes an appointment with Jane, who's thrilled about the appointment because she wants to thank him for that message that turned her life around. And she again tells him, you know, I was going to go to MBA program. I'm so glad I'm not because really this is what I'm wired for, uh, to serve in this other way. And and I'm going to go join the Peace Corps. And I cannot thank you enough for the sermon you gave. What do you say? Jane, her parents. And so this is what he said to her. Well, Jane, um, I was only preaching... And I laughed. I am preaching this morning. And maybe God taps you on the shoulder and says, I need you to go way over there. I need you to make this big commitment. But my hunch is that normally the way our God works is to to instead say, before you go do that big thing, why don't you first try close to home with this small thing? And I think what you'll find is that service not only is valuable close to home, but it turns out to be pretty close to the heart of God.